Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. New episodes every Tuesday. You can subscribe at Spotify, Apple, iTunes, iHeartMedia, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you, SpeakerMatch.com, for sponsoring the show. Today, we're talking tunes with my friend Dominic Nolfi from the New WAP Project, joining us from his palatial New York City estate, somewhere deep in the heart of the five boroughs. Dominic, what's happening? What's up, Burke? How you doing? You may or may not be Italian with the name Dominic Nolfi. Definitely guilty. Yes, Italian. Only half, though. <laughs> now, the interesting thing about you, and, and, and Dom and I have had a, an opportunity to work together with the Doo-Wop Project, is that folks may think of you as, as, you know, a New York Italian guy, a Jersey Italian guy, but you are, in fact, were, were born and raised and brought up in the Italian hotbed of... San Francisco. <laughs> so tell me about what it was like being a kid in San Francisco. Well, technically, I grew up in Pacifica, which is like eh, 10 minutes outside of the, the city limits. Yep. But I went to school in the city and my parents worked in the city. So we kind of drove in in the mornings together. And um, I went to parochial school and, uh, you know. Um, Brothers, sisters. Going. Oh, sorry. One brother. Yeah. Younger brother. Um, his name is Dario. Um, actually lives in Brooklyn now as well. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and what did uh, your mom and dad do? Mom was a teacher and she was a, a professional dancer for a bit, too. Wow. Um, she choreographed musicals, dance concerts every year. So that's sort of how I got into showbiz. Uh, my dad was a general contractor for a long time, then became a building inspector. And though it was never a professional, um, my parents met at a dance class at San Francisco State, actually. So he he's always been like, a, you know, a very supportive uh, guy when it comes to the arts and a career in the arts. Do you ever remember as a kid going out on your dad's job sites? I mean, was he a hard hat wearing kind of guy? Yeah, totally. He owned his own business with my grandfather for a while. Um, and he was on the job. He was, he was what you would, what he would say, I was pounding nails today. Um, so I'm tired, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and he meant it right. This was real. Yeah. Yeah. And so he would do both kind of be in the office, doing the bids, hustling new, you know, work. And then he would go out onto the job site with the guys and, uh, you know, be the foreman and, you know, He's a, he's a great carpenter, actually, uh, really skilled. So a man's man and then young Dominic comes up to a man's man and says, you know, this whole contracting thing, this whole pounding nails thing, maybe not so much, but mom and the dancing and then the show business and the bright lights, that's for me. What does dad say? Well, dad, uniquely enough, my grandfather, so my dad's dad was actually a singer in New York before world war ii oh wow right before world war ii and he he gigged on swing street on 52nd street in new york city amazing um, yeah and so so it really wasn't that foreign to him he wasn't all that concerned i think his main thing was he will you know you you're gonna find your way do what you want to do to make you know yourself happy but i do remember there was a moment where i was laying insulation in an attic in a beautiful Victoria home in San Francisco thinking, 
yeah, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life, you know? Um, So yeah, uh, he was fine. With your dad growing up in that environment with his father as a singer, though, it wasn't a completely foreign thing to him. No. And my grandfather did make a living for a while until the war broke out and his brothers came and found him actually. And were like, Hey, you got it. We got to enroll you in school. And he's like, why? They're like, this is, you know, you've had your fun. And he's like, why? They're like, we want you to go in. You're going to get drafted. We're all going to get drafted and you need to go in as an officer. And so he went to Penn state until, uh, and then the war broke out and then they went to officers training uh, school. Uh, that was some good foresight from the brothers. Did, uh, did everybody make it back home from the war? Yeah, yeah. They all did a, different things. There were three Nolfi brothers. My grandfather was the youngest. Um, and uh, Luke, who was the oldest, was actually in Africa. And we're not quite sure what he did over there, but he spoke a bunch of different languages, Italian being one of them, but he could also was fluent in French um, and uh, Spanish. And so... He was like in the intelligence um, and he never had any children. So he's kind of like the mysterious great uncle, you know. Um, but anyways, after the war, Nono, Adrian Nolfi, who was the singer, he ended up in San Francisco and met my grandmother and uh, stayed. There's something about that generation, man. What an incredible generation of Americans. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and my dad was in that generation and was a World War II Navy guy and stayed in through Korea. And they didn't talk about it a whole lot, kind of like your uncle Luke, your great uncle Luke, but uh, yeah, they yeah. did some amazing things. All right. So, so we're talking with Dominic Nolfi, uh, part of the Do What Project. You've probably seen their PBS TV special. It's aired all over the country, maybe caught them in concert. They're always on the road. Um, as a kid, you, you were into this. But at some point you said you were actually on the job laying insulation. So what kinds of jobs did you do leading up to the point where the arts could support you? I worked at a hotel with my brother in L.A. called the Mondrian Hotel. You ever hear? Oh, yeah. Right by House of Blues. That's probably my best survival job. Um, So we worked the door. We were doormen. and they have a whole system there where you like take the client in, you greet them, you take them in, you know, and then you bring them to their room. Um, and it was a great survival job. I met a lot of cool people. I was going to say coolest, famous person at that hotel because everybody stayed there. Yeah. The coolest person that I dealt with was yeah. Patty LaBelle, but I didn't deal with her directly. I dealt with her man Friday. I never got his name, but she stayed for a string of days and he gave me his card and was basically like, I'm going to, I'm going to call you and you're, I need you to bring me stuff and kind of run for me. Um, and they were just so classy and elegant. They pulled up in a Jag, you know, <laughs> they get out, they unload it from the, from the, 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 the hood, you know what I mean? So the yep. trunk is in the front, Yep. Louis Vuitton luggage, you know, Anyways, dealing with her was epic. Also, Eddie Vedder was really cool. Nice. Skipper. I took care of his surfboards. Sort of. <laughs> that was your job. Yeah, yeah. So, fun job. My brother actually got me that job. I love that. Uh, and Patty LaBelle can make an entrance into a room. Um, I was she at said, a hotel in Georgia, and like the entourage came in, and every head turned. And she said nothing. I mean, she's just dignified like dignified you know what i mean just i have people here they're gonna do what they do for me 
I'm going to look beautiful and regal and walk in and, you know. And she does. I love that. All right. So that was a great survival job. The hardest, worst survival job before you made it in showbiz. Just cater waitering in the city, you know, gig working, showing up, not knowing what you're going to be doing, you know, trying to find like the least menial job in the, in the, in the, you know, like trying basically not to get stuck, like with the dishes, you know, uh, <laughs> that was those, those were character building days, but important days nonetheless, you know? Well, you know, they make you realize this is not where you want to spend the rest of your life. You know, my son delivered pizzas for a minute and realized that's not how he wants to spend his days. Uh, that is know. a good lesson to have. What about you? What was your worst survival job? So I am one of those rare few who never had a survival job because I started on the radio when I was 14 years old in my little hometown of 3,000 people, Logan, West Virginia on WLOG. And that was the best high school job ever, right? So you can imagine it's the 80s. I'm playing like Aerosmith and Kenny Loggins on the radio. Uh, I'm in an air conditioned room and girls are calling on the request line. If you're 16 years old, that's the best job ever. Right. Yeah. That, how did you happen into that gig? Uh, Well, you know, my voice changed at 14 and that helped it dropped. And, uh, and my mother worked for the local police department. And so the news director of that station would call every day to see if anything had happened. This is a town like Mayberry, nothing ever happens. So she finally says, you know, my son and I, we listen to you on the radio all the time. He'd love to see what you do. And so I went up to shadow him and, and here we are with a microphone in front of me 40 years later. That's, Serendipity. That's really cool. Good mom. That's mom stuff right there. Yeah. Well, you know, moms look out for you. With your mom as a professional dancer, when when you started doing, I'm assuming you did theater in school and, and all that. Yeah. Uh, was she there? Was your dad there? Were they supportive in, in that way? Absolutely. In fact, my mom, so my mom worked at a high school, Catholic high school called Mercy High School. And um, we went to a parochial school down the block. And so my brother and I would get out of school, we'd walk to her high school and she would inevitably be either working with her dancers because she ran a dance program there or choreographing for the musical. And so one year they're doing Bye Bye Birdie and the director who's a good friend of hers and a friend of our family, Liz was like, you know, we need a, a boy. We need like a Randolph. We need a little boy. What about Dominic? And so- And you're how old then? Uh, 11 wow eight 11 you know yeah yeah and so my brother and i were both and they're like yeah let's put dario in the show too and so but i i got the the role i think because i was older and yeah. um and, and and i remember them trying me out on the piano to see if i could just mimic and sing on pitch and they they were like oh oh well we can okay great put them in you know and that's how it started and at what point in in you doing this as you're going through school, did it sort of click and you go, you know, this is really, this is really what I want to do for a living. You hear like comics and people talk about like, you know, the, their first getting that first laugh or whatever, that first like recognition, you yep. know, it's, it's the same thing with me. I remember Randolph has like a little reprise of kids, like an ironic little, you know, kids i don't know what's wrong with these kids today and it's the eight-year-old singing that or whatever you know the audience got the huge kick out of that and i just remember walking off stage going yeah more of that i want more of that yeah and 
and you, you're doing this in San Francisco, which is a big arts town. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it possible, though, to make a full-time living doing what you do there? Or was this move to New York City something that had to happen? So in the 90s, when I was applying for colleges and stuff, I, I realized I wanted to to go into theater. And right. my mom, you know, working at a high school, we went to like a fair, you know, and we just... We saw like the job fair, you mean? Yeah, like an arts, like a school arts college fair or something. Okay. You know? So we grabbed some some brochures, and one of them was the Boston Conservatory. The other one was Cincinnati Conservatory, and then maybe Webster or something. And then like Fullerton had a decent theater program, still does. Cal State Fullerton in California. Yeah. Um, so. It was just kind of a blind thing. We didn't know anybody. I had theater friends, but they, you know, they weren't like, I'm going to make my living in the theater. They, they like, what I wanted to do was just go away to college, not in California. That was my goal. And that's, and so we we ended up settling on the Boston Conservatory. I, I got into Cincinnati Conservatory. The Boston Conservatory gave me more scholarship money. So my dad was like, you're going there. Boston looks great, son. We never visited the school. We couldn't afford to. Uh, They had my grandfather take me out uh, to drop me off in Boston. Um, And, you know, the Boston Conservatory is, uh, it's now joined with Berklee School of Music, which I think is probably a good thing. But it's a really small school. And it's kind of like, there's a beautiful front area, but there's this kind of like alley back area that you walk into. It's really kind of, Kind of not sketchy, impressive. not impressive at all. And my grandfather looked at me and he's like, "Well, here you are, you know, like, see you later. I'm out." Yeah, <laughs> and I loved it though. It was great. It was what I needed. It was like a mini New York City. It was like you're competing against all these kids that want to do what you want to do. You're forming friendships. You're doing student shows, which are really helpful. And then you're competing for, you know, the the main stages every year and that's sort of like you know a broad you know your broadway show preparation where you're multiple auditions and dance calls and you know so it was the right school for me um and i kind of lucked into it so i'm grateful for that you're three thousand miles away from home though and suddenly you're in a whole different environment do you remember and you may have to peel back the onions a little bit 18 year old dom uh being homesick and thinking what have I done? This is craziness. Or was it the complete opposite? I've I've found my tribe and these are my people. There was like a little bit mixture of both, I would say. Um, it was a little bit of a culture shock coming from an all-boy Catholic school in San Francisco that did have a good arts program, but was conservative. And um, I was a little bit of a jock. I, I had, I, I wrestled. That was uh, my sport. Uh, in fact, I still grapple, do jujitsu for fun, okay. keep in shape. So I was a little bit of a jock, a little bit of a, not a meathead, but it was just sort of like a very masculine sort of environment. And I was a varsity wrestler, but I did the musicals and I did the plays and San Francisco had this whole art thing happening. So I, I didn't, anyways, when I got to the Boston Conservatory, it was, uh, it was a little bit of a culture shock, but I, I, uh, being, um, a straight guy in yeah. a music theater program. In yeah, the minority, can we say? Is it fair yeah, to say? Minority, minority? Yeah, it uh, has its perks, you know? Oh, yeah. 
I yeah. can imagine it did <laughs> very much yeah. so. So that that was fun. I learned a lot. And oh, in the winter, the first winter, the winter. Oh yeah, you'd never really been through that, right? Yeah. So that was that was hysterical. And you just like it getting dark at four p.m. You know what I mean? Like or three thirty. You know, oh, like yeah. it's it's dark. You know, and the wind uh, off the harbor. And oh yeah, I've been up there on a New Year's Eve in Boston, and it's frigid. You don't even want to leave the hotel, right? It, yeah, it's wild. Uh, so, but that was all. You know, you get used to that, and. Now I love them. I like when you get there. You always hear these stories, Dominic, about kids that that you know you're a big deal in your town, and then you go to a college where everybody's really gunning for it, and you realize uh, suddenly I'm not such a big deal anymore. Oh. Was was there an element of that where you go, oh, oh, this is what the real competition is like? Yeah, the dudes that were like getting the leads in the main stage are guys that have Tony nominations now. Um, yeah. You know, um, they were really 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 solid actors singers um who could move so i i had guys to look up to which was great um you know there's not always less men than women so i was still able to do a lot you know i was they needed guys so even if you aren't the best your plumbing you know, is correct your green, yeah so so i was lucky to get a lot of stage time there even though there were guys that you know were so so far along in terms of uh their acting and and their singing and stuff dominic nolfi's our guest on the big time talker podcast he's a broadway veteran also one of the stars of the do wop project which is one of my favorite touring shows that you can check out online at the do and be sure to see them if they come to your town um tell me about the first paid theatrical job you got do you remember what it was? And I'm sure that when you got that first check, it was probably a big moment because you were living the life of a student and a starving artist, right? Yeah, it was, um, I was really lucky, honestly. Like, you know, the Boston Conservatory does this thing where they have a agent showcase at the yeah. end of the year. Um, and they were really like on the forefront of, of, of doing that. There were only a handful of schools at, at that time. We're talking 2000 when I graduated. Um, and so they had agents come and they had agents come throughout our senior year too. And they were always, the agents were kind of like, yeah, these kids good. The feedback was like, this kid's good, but I'm not sure where to put him. You right. know, like he could maybe do Les Mis, but I don't know. You know, so my first audition in New York was actually for a Marius replacement in Les Mis. Didn't get it, but it was great experience. My roommate actually got it. Who's still a good friend of mine. Um, and so, uh, that was, that was awesome. But the gig I ended up getting after graduation was this radio city show called Pokemon live. Ah, which, what? Yeah. Which is exactly what like, it sounds like. Um, we didn't wear heads, yes. but it was a stadium show and, um, it was super big. Everything was super big. And I landed the role of Ash. And you were Ash? I Get was out Ash, of town. Man. Yeah. And so they put me through quite the audition process, though. And at one point, I went to like three auditions and I knew the director wanted me, but the Japanese producers weren't sold on me. And uh, my agent was like, dude, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to go any further. They're going to look more. You know, they're going to they're going to keep looking. And so they did. And they came back to me, though. And um, that was a great experience. 
I got to work with a Broadway caliber director, Louis Perez, who was like the dance captain for the revival of Chicago, the one that's still running now at the Ambassador. Uh, he's like a Joffrey ballet dancer, but a dude, dude, like this Cuban guy. Um, anyways, he he was awesome. We we did a nice run at Radio City. We went out and we're supposed to go to all these stadiums, but they pulled the plug on the tour like seven months in. Um, but it was still like a a great you know, intro into New York city. And I came back with some money in my pocket and was able to like, just keep auditioning after that. Well, you know, Pokemon is still hot, but it, around 2000, it was huge. huge. So, so there's like cares? a documentary on YouTube about it all. Um, it's funny. Oh, um, I need to check that out. All right. So we'll yeah. To- I, and now there's a little bit of a resurgence about it, you know, cause uh, so I've, I've actually had some talks with people um just about that experience, Pokemon heads, you know, because there's a whole subculture, as you know. Yeah, man, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. You know, you said something about, um, you know, the getting that job and that you auditioned three times and you thought you wouldn't get it. For those of us that don't do what you do for a living, I've always been fascinated by this concept that you can lose a job or not get a job and it have nothing to do with your skill set. It could be you know, you're too short, you're too tall, you're too fat, you're too thin, your nose is too big, your ears are too big. All of these things that you have no control over. Um, and I wonder if somebody who's been doing this for a minute, how that, how does that affect your psyche when you don't get a job through no fault of your own? I think, honestly, that gets easier as time goes on. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think you take things less personally the older you get if you stay in the game long enough you know um like i'll be completely honest like right now the climate and musical theater for a guy my age um and with the shows that i've done no one's really knocking you know and um i could get down about that or whatever but as you know these things are cyclical you know Right. So I'm just biding my time, staying ready until that next show comes around the bend, which I know it will. Um, And um, I think having a full personal life helps manage those disappointments, you know. And you have a family, right? You've got kids. I do. I have one kid, Vivian, 12. Um, We're about to do the whole New York high school thing, performing art. She's an artist herself, really accomplished dancer for her age. Um, And, uh, you know, she got the lead in her middle school production of Matilda this year. Nice. Uh, Yeah. So she doesn't audition professionally. She could if she wanted. We told her, we just sat her down and we're like, so if you get this Broadway show, she was going to go in for Music Man which my wife was working on. My wife does wardrobe for Broadway shows. Okay. Uh, and they were replacing kids. And we were like, she could probably book this. And I've worked with the director. And so we spoke to her about what the schedule was going to be like. And she was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> not I like, Great. Perfect. Good. I said, it's not going anywhere. You know? So. Are you worried about that? Uh, those rejections with her i mean it's your little girl i just worry about like her potentially getting something 
And then like she's in a, a theater all summer doing eight shows a week or being tutored, you know, during the year instead of going to school. Like, I don't, I don't want that for her. And I've done shows with kids and they're great. And at certain kids it's, it's, it's great, but it kind of swings both ways, honestly, you know? Dominic Nolfi is our guest today from the Do What Project. He's a Broadway veteran as well. Check out the dowatproject.com to see when they're coming to your town and be sure to check that show out. Visit them online and also watch for their PBS special as it airs all over the country. The first Broadway show you got, what was that experience like? Good old Jersey Boys, the gift that keeps on giving. Um, was living in Los Angeles of all places at the time. And they were doing the first production of Jersey Boys at the La Jolla Playhouse. So uh, a friend of mine from the Boston Conservatory became an agent and he he offered to hip pocket me, which means like I wasn't official, officially signed to the agency, but he was able to kind of bring me along with him. And yeah. um, it was Endeavor, uh, which I think is no more. Or they merged with... William Morris. Thank you. So... He got me in the room and they liked me and I was singing for Frankie and no one was really like accessing that crazy falsetto at that time, you know? Yeah. So they were, I, you know, I, so I was, anyways, each time I went in, I think I went in four times and each time I went in, I got better, but I didn't end up getting it. And I was like, ah, darn, because the book was so good. That's the thing about Jersey Boys that separates it from other jukebox musicals. Uh, Rick Ellis and Marshall Brickman wrote this incredible book. It still works. It's still funny. You know, um, and the book is for folks that don't do theater. That's the story. That's the right. stuff. Those, those the, great script, the lines, you right. know, so the dialogue was like, great. I was like, this is so fun. This dialogue is so fun. And of course, who doesn't like this music and me being a, an entrepreneur and a, and a wannabe producer myself, I was like, dude, this is a great product. Like if this works in San Diego, it will absolutely work in New York. So I kept my eye on it, on the show. They went into rehearsals. I went back to work at the hotel. Uh, and then my agent called me and said, uh, uh, you're going to go down and uh, join the company as the swing at the, in the at La Jolla Playhouse. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, they wanted you to come back in, but I told them no that you had been in four times and that was enough. And we got off the phone and then 10 minutes later, they called me back and offered you the job. <laughs> <laughs> it's the takeaway clothes in sales parlance. Right. Right. And also I think I was in California. So they were like, jump on the train, head down to San Diego. You know, can you come tomorrow? Start yeah. learning the show right away because they were realizing that the role of Frankie was a difficult one. And that they're going to need someone else to learn it and cover it. And so that was uh, what I did. I got down there. I started learning that part. Soon enough, I got thrown on. Difficult uh, because of all those falsetto songs. You'll yeah, blow, just all the jumping. Like all that stuff. Like you got to exercise. It's like a muscle that you got to build up. So the guy who came in who did it first was this guy, David Neronia, who was like a film TV guy with a theater background. And he could do it, but he couldn't do it eight times a week. Yeah. I think he could have if if we went. He didn't end up coming back to the to the production, his choice. But 
I think he was nervous, but I think he could have got there. Um, but anyways, I, I, I hopped in, did the best I could. They appreciated my efforts. I went in and jumped in and did some other roles. They kept extending the show in San Diego in La Jolla. Um, and so I knew when it ended that if it transferred, I had carved out my little place in that company. And when you say swing, that means that they can plug you in wherever they need you. Yes. So you learn. That's how a lot of people start on Broadway. Um, you learn a lot of tracks. And, you know, it's just you and the stage manager a lot of, and the dance captain a lot of the time in a dark rehearsal room or on the stage of the theater. And they're just, you go through the show. You come in memorized. You know, you do as much work on your own as possible. And and if you can prove to them that you're self-sufficient like that, then you're a, a very good commodity for that company. So when the show finally breaks on Broadway, there's a place for you then? Yes. yes. That's fantastic. All right. Yeah. Give us a couple of the other shows that, that folks may have seen you in on the Great White Way. The next show I did after that was Motown the Musical with my partner and buddy, uh, Charles Brown. Your pigmentation is a little odd for Motown the Musical, I have to say. Yeah, well, there was this guy named Barney Ellis who was Barry's, eh, one of Barry's right-hand uh, men. Uh, I should say Barry Gordy, the founder of Motown. Right. And uh, he was this Italian guy who laid concrete in the uh, spring and summer and then happened into uh working in the record industry and radio and stuff during the winter and caught kind of a reputation for a guy that could kind of like break records and so barry hired him for motown and i did small little odd parts in motown the musical but when i did speak i was that character who right. was a real guy um and i uh, got to meet his son and um he was he was quite a character, Barney Ellis, and he would he was the guy that was like, look, if you want Smokey Robinson, you got to take the Supremes too. If you want to play Smokey, you got to take the Supremes too, and you got to take, you know, um, you know, Shotgun. What are those guys? Uh, JC uh, Junior uh, Walker and the All Star. Junior Walker, Junior Walker. You know what I mean? So he would take like the hot commodity, right? When Motown first was happening with Smokey to pull up the and, baby guns, yeah, right? To pull up the little yeah. guns. Exactly. And so he just, he was the man in that respect, Barney, and was a big deal at Motown. So when you're doing these shows like Jersey Boys and Motown the Musical, and I have to fanboy a little bit, do you get a meet? I mean, was there a point where you met Frankie Valley? Was there a point where you met Barry Gordy or any of the Motown acts? Yeah, I did Frankie. I think I got to perform the role of Frankie Valley for Frankie in La Jolla. He came a bunch. I definitely... He saw me do something. Maybe it was Bob Gaudio. He saw me playing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, got to meet him. He's super cool. Got to meet Pesci. Got to have a great relationship with Tommy DeVito, who I was, that was the role that I actually ended up playing on Broadway for three years. Um, that was the role that fit me the best. It wasn't actually Frankie. It was Tommy. Um, who was the guitar player and sort of like the guy who got it all going in the beginning. Yep. Um, yeah. So it was a great dramatic scene that we won't give away if you haven't seen it uh, with, with that character. Yeah. Or they, 
he he's a he was a uh, he was a wise guy, half a wise guy, um, and uh, but a brilliant musician and good at singing harmonies and a good ear. For just Pesci, a if people aren't familiar, Pesci was actually the real Joe Pesci was instrumental in the real Four Seasons yeah. happening back yeah. in the day. I had no idea. So I I get down to La Jolla. They're like, watch the show tonight. So I'm sitting on the steps. It's sold out at the La Jolla Playhouse. I sit on the steps in the back. And, you know, Joe Pesci comes out, this guy playing Joe <laughs> Pesci comes out. And I'm like, what the hell? And, you know, I'm a big, like, Joe Pesci fan. I'm a big De Niro, Joe Pesci, like, Italian-American actor fan, you know? Yep. So I couldn't believe it. Um, and when Joe came to see the show, he was super cool. And he's notoriously, like, a quiet person. But um, he spoke to me a lot, actually, because I, I introduced myself to him and said, you didn't see me tonight on stage. I'm one of the understudies. And he he was like, oh, I, I understudied so many shows in New York. And he just was telling me about all the off-Broadway understudying work that he did, you know, as a an up-and-coming actor. So what you do, and having seen the Duwat Project with Dominic Nolfi, um, is very physical. And you've got a lot happening there. Um, so for the folks that think, oh, show business, you know, it's it's all laying around and being fed bonbons and waiting for the phone to ring. And then, uh, you know, uh, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It's not that. I mean, this is a grueling thing that you do with the singing and the dancing and the acting. And and you may be too close to it. You may not have an answer for this, but is there one of those three disciplines that, that you feel you're the best at or conversely that that you have to work hardest at? Hmm. I can tell you that singing came naturally to me. Okay. Um, and so, and I had good training as a kid. My grandparents paid for vocal lessons at San Francisco Conservatory. So I learned how to sing healthy. And that's something that I've always carried over. And as I get older, I'm 45. As I get older, with the traveling that we do, the singing can suffer it you know not getting enough sleep not warming up enough um you know eating things i shouldn't be eating you know the night before yep things like that so as i get older i don't take the voice for granted as much even though that was something that i was always able to kind of fall back on never really had to worry about um so well you know how to do all the things to protect yeah. you and that's great. Yeah, yeah that's sort of. Yeah, it's it's always a gamble. There was a, a portion of this tour where I had to like go to a, a a clinic and get some steroids so that I could keep. You know, sometimes you get viruses and it just affects your your singing voice. You know. Um, yeah, but you know, you see guys that are famous singers. There's a guy named Morgan Wallen who's probably the hottest country music singer right now. Right, he, I know who he's talking about. Oh yeah, he just put a video out uh, recently where he said, "Look, I, you know, I'm so sorry." I've been ordered to cancel the rest of my tour all my summer. I heard about that. Yeah. Because he, he blew it out because he didn't have that training that your grandparents invested in when you were a kid. So, so the singing piece comes naturally to you. What do you have to work hard at? Is it the dancing? Is it the remembering the lines? Is it what? Well, acting is a, a craft. So that comes with time. I think there are natural people that are naturals, but I do think you have to be in plays. And I think the best, the best training is actually just doing shows. Classes are great, but actually just doing a production is the best way to kind of learn. Um, yeah. 
and acting took some time. Uh, I, I took take after my dad in the dance department, uh, whereas my mom is a flawless dancer still to this day. Uh, <laughs> and my daughter and my wife are dancers, like real dancers, like triples, like split, you know, like, and I'm like what we call a mover. <laughs> a mover. <laughs> yeah. So I can, I, I, you know, I honestly would work more if I was a dancer, but then you put yourself into, an, unfortunately, a category of being a dancer, which dancers break out of. But uh, anywho, I'm a mover. I'm an actor who moves. <laughs> it's good to know your limitations. Always. I've seen you move a lot in the Duwa Project. Um, describe that show for people who are listening who have never seen it because it's really unique and it's really entertaining. And uh, I think when I have seen that show, people come in there and have no idea what to expect, come out with these huge grins, these big smiles. So when people say, oh, what is this, this do-what project that I see all over the country that you're in, how do you describe it to people? It's like a show for all generations. It's a, you see the word doo-wop and you automatically think, you know, maybe this is a show for baby boomers. Um, you know, this is a show for older folks. Um, and it but is totally not, not just for them, not just for them. It's, it's multi-generational. We always say bring mom should bring her mom and her daughter and her, her husband or her dad you know, and, and, you know, bring the sun as well. It's, it's like, you can bring three generations to this show. Um, and for the older folks, they go on a little nostalgia journey in their minds where they're like, what's the first, when's the first time I heard Sherry or come go with me by the Dell Vikings, you know, yeah. and, you know, and they're taking, they're, they're taking these nostalgic journeys and the young kids are getting exposed to this foundational American music, American music, you know, um, and uh, and then, you know, people my age, Gen Xers, we we grew up with this music. We grew up with this music in movies. We grew yes. up hearing this on on, uh, you know, AM radio in my uh, grandparents car, you know, um, and you it's like Sinatra and Elvis. It's a part of the American fabric, you know. It's kind of timeless. The music that you guys have selected for the show has that timeless quality. It sounds great in 2023, just like it did in 1963. Yeah, you know, we 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 thought, what would, you know, is there a market for this music? We like singing it. We don't need to have like a set lead singer. Let's feature everyone, you know, Um Let's have Charles, who played Smokey Robinson in Motown the Musical, do some Smokey songs. You know, um, we'll have the Frankies sing some some Four Seasons stuff. We'll you know we'll have, and then we'll take like some contemporary doo-wop songs. Sorry, we'll take some contemporary songs like "I'm Yours" and we'll make them into doo-wop songs, which are bass. Dwayne Cooper, uh, he he calls that to doo-wopify a song. <laughs> you know, maybe, and I love that Duopify. Maybe that's part of the appeal to the the Duop Project live show. And you guys do these with with symphony orchestras, and you do them in these beautiful performing arts centers. Maybe it's the variety of the music uh, that that is part of the appeal. What do you think? Yeah, I think that adds to it. I think people want to come. They want to hear some Temptations. They want to hear some Four Seasons. 
Um, maybe they'll get to hear an Amy Winehouse song, you know, that we do. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I think people really don't know what to expect, but they always leave happy. And we have, that's really how we've built this little engine. A lot of repeat people coming back, people telling their friends word of mouth, you know, um, we've been doing it for 10 years, over 10 years, actually. And, um, you know, it's moving right along. And it's all guys that uh, that have Broadway backgrounds and bona fide mm-hmm. Broadway stars. And your musical director, who put that show together, is a Broadway musical director as well. Right. Sonny Palladino, who started the group with me. Um, he's currently the musical supervisor and musical director for A Beautiful Noise on Broadway. That's a Neil Diamond musical, which is pretty great. Um, fantastic show. It's a great show. Uh, yeah. Show. And he he grew up going to do op shows. His uncle, Marty D'Amico, was in Brooklyn Bridge, which was the group that Johnny Maestro formed after the Cress, who sang 16 Candles. The um, worst thing. And the worst. Ever... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, know you're a guy. You know these things. I love it. What is uh as we wrap it up, what's your favorite part of your job? What do you like the most? I like being control in control of our little production i you know i've been the foot soldier um in three successful broadway shows luckily um and all the shows that i've done i was in the original cast of each show so i've built i've been in the room while the creatives are building these shows this works no throw that away that doesn't work Guys, learn this whole dance sequence and this new song. Great. Come back after lunch with it pretty memorized. Great. All right, let's do it. Okay, it doesn't work. Forget it. Let it out of your mind. You know, so I've been in those rooms. And so when we were putting together the doo project, we had that same mentality, you know? And we're also just, we're used to performing a lot. Like if you're in a Broadway show and you're in it for five, six years and you're doing eight shows a week, like you learn how to get yourself up and ready for a show for a paying audience. And when we're, it doesn't matter where we are, Florida, Tennessee, California, New Jersey, if people are coming, they're getting a Broadway caliber experience. I can't recommend the show uh, any more highly. It's the doo-wop project. Look them up online. And when you go see him, you'll get a chance to see my pal, Dominic Nolpe do his thing and move about the stage. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, thanks for being here today. Eric, thanks for having me. Congrats on the podcast and everything else you got going on, bro. That's my man, Dominic Nolfi from the Do-Wop Project. Check him out at thedowopproject.com. They're all over social media as well. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you, speakermatch.com, for sponsoring the show. Wherever you go, whatever you do, make it a great day. New episodes every Tuesday of the Big Time Talker podcast. Bye, everybody.